You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. You're listening to Brains On from American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom, and today we're going to start the new year off with something that we love here at Brains On, mysteries about our universe and questions without easy answers. We're going to revisit a couple big questions from some of our favorite episodes. Have you ever wondered what's beyond the edge of the universe? Or maybe a better question, is there even an edge of the universe? And what does it mean that the universe is expanding? We're about 15 seconds into this episode, and my brain already hurts from thinking about these big questions, so it's a good thing that we have help. Today, we're going to be listening in on a conversation between two very smart people who are wrestling with these very big and very mind-blowing questions. The first is an astrophysicist. Hi, my name is Katie Mack. I am a theoretical astrophysicist, and I study the early universe and dark matter and stuff like that. And the second is Thea Hutchins. Hi, my name is Thea. I'm nine years old and I live in Sydney, Australia. Thea wrote what is perhaps our favorite email that has ever been written to Brains On. I don't understand how the universe can be expanding into nothing. Like, what is the nothing that the universe is growing into? Also, before the Big Bang, there was nothing. So what made the bang? Usually, explosion is blowing up something, but there was nothing to blow up. How can everything have come from nothing? What is nothing anyway? How can there be no space? I can't understand how to think about the nothing. Too many questions. Thanks, Thea. In our book, Too Many Questions is always a good thing. We arranged a conversation with Thea and Katie, and we are very excited to share it with you. Now we can all stare into the infinite together. Thea started by asking about the expansion of the universe. I don't understand how the universe can be be expanding into nothing. Like, what is the nothing that the universe is going into? There's nothing that we see that indicates that there's any edge to the universe. Like, there seems to be just no edge. And if there's no edge, if it really does go on forever, which we don't know, um, then it could go on forever and it could be just getting bigger, even though it's already infinite. It could be getting more infinite, sort of. But, I mean, and that's that's a weird idea, but really all we see is that we see that galaxies are moving apart from each other. Distant galaxies are getting farther apart from other distant galaxies and they're getting farther apart from us. And so all we really can say is that things in the universe are getting farther apart from each other, and we interpret that as, like, the space in between is expanding. And it really looks like all of space is expanding. I mean, the galaxies themselves are not getting bigger, but the spaces in between them are. And so it's possible that the universe is already infinitely big. There are lots of galaxies in this already infinitely big space, but the galaxies in this big space are getting farther apart from each other. And that's something you can do in an infinitely big space, you can have everything in the infinitely big space getting farther apart from each other, which would be like the infinitely big space getting more infinitely yeah. big. Um, and so, so that's totally possible, and that's consistent with all our observations. It could also be that the universe kind of wraps around each other, itself at some point. So like if you're on the surface of a balloon and the balloon is being blown up, on the surface, there's no sort of center of that expansion. Like different points on the surface are just getting farther apart from other points on the surface. It could be something like that, but we don't we don't know at the moment. And if it were like that, then that would be like a really big balloon. Yeah. Because <laughs> as far as we can tell, we can't see that sort of curving around. 
to us, the universe doesn't seem to be wrapping around on itself, but that could just be that it's, it's doing it on such a large scale that we can't see it. So, I, you know, either of those things are possible, and in one case, you don't need any space outside of our universe, and in the other case, you do, but in both cases, all we really see is that things in the universe are getting farther apart. When I hear the universe is always expanding, and, like, I, I thought about if you go to the edge of the universe, if there is an edge of the universe, then I would think the universe is just this square of black and then there's this white around it. Like, there's, if you get, if you get to the edge of the black, then you, there's just white, empty white, like infinite white. <laughs> There was an interesting discussion about this back in the sort of ancient times. I don't remember who the people were who were talking about this, but they were talking about the edge of the universe, and they they had this sort of thought experiment. The thought experiment is where you, you can't do the experiment, but you can think about it, and you can talk about what would happen. And they were saying, like, what if you go to the edge of the universe, and you take an arrow, like a bow and arrow, and you shoot the bow and arrow, you shoot the arrow off the edge of the universe, then that arrow has to go somewhere, and that somewhere must be part of the universe. And so then the universe isn't, there's not an edge of the universe, like, then that can't be the yeah. edge, because the arrow went somewhere else. And then, so they were thinking, like, well, what if you just keep doing that? Then you can't ever have an edge. I think that there could be an edge based on the way that we think about physics and, and dimensions now, because there could be, like, a limit to our dimensions of space you know like like we have three dimensions of space we have up and down and left and right and front and back right it could be it could be that like you can't go like one of these directions doesn't go forever or maybe all of the directions don't go forever and then there really could be an edge I don't know what color it would be um we don't we don't know that and it might be that like you'd have to find some other direction to shoot your arrows into (laughs) we haven't invented yet um but yeah i mean that's totally it's totally possible that there is an edge and and you know yeah i don't but i have no idea what it looks like i know it's interesting i never thought about it as white i always think about it as black yeah (laughs) but that's yeah that's cool what do you visualize when you think of the universe or the big bang send us a drawing we would love to see it you can email it to hello at brainson.org or you can find our mailing address on our website brainson.org we're going to take a short break from pondering the mysteries of the universe to mull over a more bite-sized one it's time for the mystery sound Here it is. Any guesses? Let's hear it again. We'll be back with the answer and more from Thea's conversation with Katie a little later in the show. But first... Uh, you want my uh, full name? It's My full name's Richard R. Arnold, but I go by uh, Ricky. Well, it depends how long you know me, but <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a NASA astronaut. Richard is going to tell us a little bit about what it's like to float in space while we get ready to wrap our heads around another mystery of the universe. Gravity. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, and liftoff. 
when you are on a rocket and you ride, take that eight and a half minute ride to space. It's constant acceleration, constant acceleration. You just going faster and faster, and then all of a sudden, the main engine cuts off. And you kind of float up out of your seat. Once it stops, you're, you're free float until you decide to turn around and come back home. For my first mission, it was 13 days, but for the last few years, it's, the missions have been six months long. Six months without needing to put your feet on the ground. By and large, it's a lot of fun because you're just able to do things that you always dreamed about doing. You can fly from one module to the next in the International Space Station. You can sleep on the walls. You can sleep on the ceilings. It doesn't matter how you're oriented. You get used to kind of managing your, your personal life and your personal effects, but you misplace something for a second, and you could spend days looking for it because it's all floating in whatever direction it started moving. That's the way it's heading, heading. And unless it happens to be picked up by a fan and you can find it against the filter, you could spend days looking for something as simple as a fork or a toothbrush. Whereas in your house, if you drop something, you got a pretty good idea of where it's going to be. You might think that everything Richard is talking about is happening with zero gravity. But that's not the case at all. When astronauts go into space, they're still in the Earth's gravitational field. They call it microgravity. We're only 200 miles up. So what's really happening is you're, you're not really experiencing much difference in gravity. What you're experiencing is being in free fall around a planet for an extended period of time. It's kind of like taking a baseball and throwing it so far over the horizon that you know, it's going to eventually curve to the ground, make a parabola to the ground, but you throw it so far and so fast that it's falling around the horizon all the time. And that's kind of what we do when we launch rockets. know you're curious about the universe and everything in it, and it's your questions that power this show. If you have one you'd like us to tackle, you can send it to hello at brainson.org. That's what Rowan did when he sent us this question about what happens when you jump. Do you physically get longer when in midair? Are basketball players tall because they jump a lot, or can they jump high because they are tall? We'll have an answer to that question during our moment of um at the end of the show. And if you have mystery sounds or drawings you'd like to share with us, you can also send those to hello at brainson.org. If you do, we'll add your name to the Brains Honor Roll and read it in an upcoming episode. You can hear the latest group to be added at the end of the show. Keep listening. All right, before we delve back into the mysteries of the universe, let's go back to a smaller mystery. Let's hear that mystery sound again. Any guesses? Well, you don't have to hold your breath for the answer. Here it is. My name is Ezra, and that was my mom having the hiccups. And I like it because it's noisy and surprising. That was my mom again hiccuping. Thanks, Ezra. And if you want to find out more about why you get the hiccups and how you can make them go away, check out our Body Bonanza episode. It's all there. Now that we have that mystery taken care of, we're all ready to wrap our minds around the Big Bang, right? Here's Thea again. Before the Big Bang, there was nothing. So what made the bang? Usually explosion is blowing up something, but there was nothing to blow up. How can everything here come from nothing? People usually imagine the Big Bang as an explosion, and that's how it's usually, like, 
drawn or, or, you know, animated or whatever. But that's not really very accurate because an explosion is like, like a ball of fire happening in a bigger space and it expands out. It's possible that the universe started in like an infinitely dense like point, right? But it's not really like a point in a larger space. It's like all of space would have been kind of wrapped up tighter, you know? So kind of like if you imagine that balloon I was talking about, if you imagine, like, take a, 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 a balloon that you haven't blown up yet and, like, crumple it up into a little ball, right? And then you start blowing it up and the, you know, the surface of the balloon gets bigger and bigger. Points on the surface are getting farther apart from each other. But, like, every point on the surface was at the center at, at, at the beginning. So that's one way you can think of the Big Bang, that, like, every part of the universe was the center of the universe and every part of the universe is moving away from every other part of the universe as it's getting bigger. But it's not like an explosion in a larger space necessarily. And we don't even know for sure that that, that singularity, that like infinitely dense point, happened. What we do know is that there was a time very, very early in the universe where the universe was expanding really, really quickly. And we call that inflation. And that sort of kicked off this expansion of the universe. Um, that was, you know, first it was extremely fast and then it kind of slowed down. And since then it's been slowing down, except that recently it started speeding up again, which is a whole other topic. <laughs> There's one more question. What is nothing anyway? How can there be no space? Yeah, so so one of the ideas behind this concept of the singularity, the, the sort of infinitely dense point, one, one idea behind that is that there was that point um, that was the beginning of space and the beginning of time. So like in physics, we talk about space time, where space and time are kind of wrapped up together. And the way you move through space affects how you move through time. And, and so it's this kind of weird, you know, space time fabric, right? So there's an idea that at the very beginning, the singularity was the, was the beginning, the origin, the thing that created both space and time. And if that was the case, then outside of that point, or sort of before that point, there wouldn't have been either space or time. So you couldn't really call it before. There's no before because time hadn't been created yet, you know. And and the thing is, like nobody knows how to do that in terms of like what could create that stuff. This is still an area of research where we try and think about like what you know what could have happened before the Big Bang if there was a before. Maybe there was a sort of big crunch and then a bang and then a crunch and yeah. then a bang, you know, sort of expanding and collapsing. That might be the case. There could be all these, there are these different models where there's like, there's a parallel universe and we smash into the parallel universe and that creates the big bang. And then the two, two universes kind of come apart for a while and then they come back together. And in those kinds of situations, there can be spaces in dimensions other than our own dimensions, like directions we can't access. And those spaces might have something in them or might not. Um, but in terms of, like, nothing, like, it's kind of hard because in our, in our concept of our universe, there isn't anything that's, like, there's no nothingness. Because even empty space, even the vacuum of space, has energy in it. We call it the vacuum energy. There's, like, you know, little virtual particles being created and destroyed all the time. And so there kind of isn't nothing in our universe. But it might be that um, there was a time when, uh, you know, the whole universe sort of began and there could have been, you know, and, and if that was, if the universe had a, a beginning, like a true beginning where there was nothing before that, then, you know, there was nothing before that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and so you could say that, you know, that, the no that nothing is anything outside of our universe, but you could also kind of just define the universe as being 
everything, you know, and the entirety of, of what we can think about. So like a lot of times in physics, we, when we talk about things that we can't observe, we, we kind of don't really um, have a lot to say about those because physics is all about having an idea and then testing it with the data and trying to, you know, sort of refine these theories by comparing them to data. And if we don't have any data, then that's really hard to do. And then it's hard to know if that's even science, you know, because we, we, it's just kind of speculation. So we can't, we know that there are parts of the universe that we'll never be able to observe. And we know that there are times in the universe, like the first sort of moments of the universe that, that we don't have any information about. And so it's hard to, it's hard to really do any science about those things. And and that's where the sort of nothing would be if, yeah. if there were really nothing. So, so we kind of, we kind of avoid that because it's so hard to, um, to learn about. Yeah. That's the fun part about theoretical physics though. It's that I really, I really like the brain hurting part. That's kind of why I do this. <laughs> Now, gravity is something I think a lot of us take for granted. We know what gravity feels like on Earth. It's the force that keeps your feet planted on the ground. When you throw a ball in the air, it comes back down. That's gravity. It's essential to everything we do. But there's a lot about it that's a mystery. Mass is the measure of how much matter is in a thing. And matter means stuff. The molecules, atoms, the tiny building blocks that make up everything. One of the things we know about gravity is that it's created by mass. Earth is really large, has a lot of mass, and therefore has gravity. So do other planets and stars. But why? Why does gravity exist? To find out, I called my friend Chris. So my name is Chris Mandillo. I'm an astronomer at the University of Massachusetts in Lowell, Massachusetts. I asked him what seems like a pretty basic question. Do we know where gravity comes from? We don't really. Uh, you know, it's it's strange because it's sort of the most familiar of the forces uh, in the universe to us. I mean, we deal with it every day. It's something we kind of take for granted. We we know that it has a lot to do with with mass, and that mass. You know, we for three hundred years we've known that mass creates gravity, but we don't really know where it comes from, and we don't know where it comes from as well as we know or we think we know, where the other forces in the universe come from. Chris said there are a couple different avenues through which scientists are trying to figure it out. String theory and quantum gravity. Explaining those is definitely a task for a future episode, but the very basic premise is this. I mean, in science, everything's about, if you have a theory, it has to produce a prediction that you can test. And if you test it and it works, then it might be true. And if you test it and it doesn't work, then it's definitely not true. And that's how all science works. No one's been able to come up with an origin theory of gravity that if you could test it, you could show it's it's possible or that it's true. So if we already know so much about how gravity behaves, does it matter if we know where it comes from? Understanding the origin of gravity would certainly help figure out how black holes work. I had always had this idea in my head that a black hole was literally a hole in space that sucked things into it. I think I got it from cartoons. But Chris set me straight. There's nothing magic about it. It's normal matter. It's just confined to a very small space. We know really well how they form. They form when, when giant massive stars collapse. One of the basic things about black holes is they don't, it's not like they produce more gravity than, than what you started with. If the sun just turned into a black hole right now, the Earth's orbit wouldn't change. Everything would be fine. We wouldn't have a sun, so that would be bad. But 
the, the gravity wouldn't increase. It's the same, it's the same matter, it's the same amount of mass. It's just, it would be compressed down into the size of a baseball uh, instead of the size of the sun. And the reason they're called black holes? We can't see into them. We can't see into them because gravity distorts and bends light. Well, in a black hole, the gravity is so strong that light can't escape. That's why they're black. There's nothing we can measure. And knowing more about gravity in black holes would help us learn a lot about our universe. Black holes are the reason we're here. The only reason we have a galaxy that looks like our galaxy is because there's a giant, supermassive black hole at the center of it that holds the whole thing together. So understanding the origin of gravity, yeah, is certainly important for knowing why we're here. Why anything is here. Now, before we go, it's time for our moment of um. Hello, my name is Rowan, and I'm from Silver Spring, Maryland. My question is Do you physically get longer when in midair? Are basketball players tall because they jump a lot, or can they jump high because they are tall? Hello, I'm Dr. Ed Laskowski, and I'm co-director of Mayo Clinic Sports Medicine. The short answer is no, jumping really doesn't make you taller, but practicing jumping can help you to jump higher and then and, and also train more explosive power. So it, it doesn't really increase your height, but it may increase how high you can go. When you jump, you extend your body, so it probably will go to its, uh, you know, most uh, extreme length. But the, the length of the body itself doesn't change with jumping. By doing that movement pattern, you're training the explosive muscles that are used in, in helping us to jump, and you're getting them better and better and better. So, so even though your actual height may not change, you know, and that's a lot genetically determined. Your, your muscles will develop more um, strength and explosive power, so, so you'll, you'll be able to jump higher. So in essence, your opponents may, may think you're taller, but you're just jumping higher. I'm going to jump, leap, and fly through this list of names. It's time for the Brains Honor Roll. These are the kids who power our show by sharing questions, ideas, and mystery sounds with us. Here's the most recent group. Ellie and Susie from Waynesboro, Pennsylvania, Ian and Charlotte from New York City, Jovi from Pompano Beach, Florida, Mason from Greencastle, Indiana, Layla from Cape Town, South Africa, Neve and Isla from Melbourne, Australia, Alice from New York City, Eric and Ian from Austin, Texas, Liana from Holly Springs, North Carolina, Emily, Grace, and Ella from Washington, Wyatt and Olivia from Sitka, Alaska, Alexander from Kamloops, British Columbia, Ben from New York City, Morgan from Sydney, Australia, Abigail from Nashville, Moses from Grand Prairie, Texas, Rachel, Derek, and Emmy from British Columbia, Ronia from Cambridge, Massachusetts, Finn from South Africa, 
Julie from Vancouver, Washington, Ari from Lenexa, Kansas, Leo, Russell, and Elsie from Ottawa, Isaac from Denver, Parker from Fitchburg, Wisconsin, Amy from Henrico, Virginia, Reese from Minneapolis, Cameron from Parker, Colorado, Tilly from Albuquerque, Ryland from New Braunfels, Texas, Clayton and Ilsa from Brooklyn, Malik from Sonora, California, William and Eloise from Sydney, Australia, Vernon from Elkins, West Virginia, Trey and Theo from Arvada, Colorado, Rayanch from Boca Raton, Florida, Arthur from Nashville, Penny from Columbus, Ohio, Cooper and Lana from Federal Way, Washington, Ezra from Brooklyn, Micah from Gladys, Virginia, Veronica from Kirkland, Washington, Triton from Pittsburgh, Cairo from Washington, D.C., and Oliver, Maggie, and Samuel from Glendora, California. That's it for this episode of Brains On. Brains On is produced by Mark Sanchez, Sandon Totten, and me, Molly Bloom. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. We had production help this week from Lauren D. and Marcus Arsvold. You can send your questions, drawings, mystery sounds, and high fives to hello at brainzon.org. We'll be back soon with more answers to your questions. Thanks for listening.